I want you to turn to Romans chapter 13. I want to read three verses of scripture to get us started tonight. I talked to the Lord about this message a lot because I said, Lord, if there's any church that I've preached in that probably doesn't need this particular message, it seems like it would be this one. But he didn't let me get away from it, so I don't know who this is for tonight. I've obviously got no one in mind uh, because, number one, I don't know most of you. I mean, I've shook a lot of hands, but I don't know most of you. And so I don't know who the Lord has this for, but we just trust that God's work will be done in hearts. Notice in Romans 13, verse 11, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Now turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and look at verse 14. Ephesians 5, verse 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Now go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want you to notice verse 34. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34. Awake to righteousness, and sin not, for some... Have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. You'll notice in all three verses, we have the command to awake. Three times he writes to different churches, telling them to wake up. How many here like to sleep? Anybody here like to sleep? I enjoy a good sleep. As a matter of fact, I get older. As I get older, I have less and less good sleeps. So I really enjoy a good sleep. But way back on February the 10th, 1979, it was the coldest night of the year in Tennessee Ridge, Tennessee. I pastored Tennessee Ridge Baptist Church. Tennessee Ridge was 60 miles west of Nashville. And you couldn't go there directly. Either you had to go up to Clarksville and then come down, or you had to go down to Dixon, Tennessee, and then go up. But there was no direct route there. And usually, if you found yourself in Tennessee Ridge, you either went there on purpose, or you were lost, because the road that went through and to Tennessee Ridge ended at the Tennessee River. There was no bridge going across it. But anyway, and I'd been pastor there for, oh, about nine months at that time. It was the first church that I pastored uh, after Bible college. And uh, we had in that house a wood stove. It was a parsonage that the church had provided for us. And I had never been in a place that was heated with wood stoves before. And I found this out. That's the best heat you can get right there. If you've got a wood stove, you're normally going to sleep real good at night. Now, some of the men of the church would cut wood out in the woods and bring it all chopped up, ready for the fire, and they would put it right outside the back door. Now, the thing that I didn't know about wood stoves, I didn't know that you weren't supposed to burn green wood in a wood stove. And every time I say that someplace, there's always a few people shaking their heads because they know that if you burn green wood, they know it. I didn't know it at the time. Uh, You burn green wood and it will form creosote up there in the pipes and then it will plug uh, those pipes going up through your roof and you can have a bad fire. So I had gone to sleep that night. I still remember feeding that wood stove. It was going good. Now, it was on the other side of the house from our bedroom. And so I got it going real good. I mean, this isn't going to be just ashes at the end of the night. We're going to have fire right on through. It was a cold night, coldest night of the year. And that day... We had had a snowfall. Now, we didn't have that many snowfalls in Tennessee Ridge, but that snowfall was six inches on the ground. My car was covered. As a matter of fact, uh, my, my driveway was so bad, I got my car stuck in my driveway. Now, I went to bed that night, and man, I was having myself a good sleep. 
About two o'clock in the morning, my wife began to shake me. And she said, Mike, Mike, get up. There's smoke in the house. Well, I'm sitting there. I finally get kind of halfway between being awake and being asleep and wonder what is wrong with her. Shut up. I'm trying to sleep. This is good. But it wasn't good. She says, Mike, you got to get up. We got smoke in the house. Well, when I woke up, I, I saw that we had smoke in the house and I just figured that the elbow to the wood stove had fallen out and it was just smoking up the house. So I would just go out, put the elbow back in. We'd be fine. Go out and get on with the sleep. But I went outside the bedroom and I looked down the hall and through the living room and into the den and up in the ceiling, I saw fire. That's not good. I said, Uncle Kathy, we need to get next door. Uh, one of the deacons of the church lived right next door. And I was hoping if I could get across there, get him awake, that we'd get a hose from his house and we'd run it up there and get that thing put out. Uh, in the meanwhile, we also called the volunteer fire department, but that was the problem. It was the volunteer fire department. There wasn't anybody at the fire department, which meant they were going to have to get up. Then they were going to have to come to where the fire department was. We had one truck and they were going to have to come to the uh, fire department, get everything going and then get to the house. By that time, my house would be gone. But anyway, so she got my daughter, Kathy, and uh, went running outside and running across to the Schmidt's house. And uh, meanwhile, I'm trying to get a couple things together before I get over there looking. Oh, man, that fire's getting worse. And so I finally ran outside, ran right by one of the best pair of snowmobile boots anybody could have ever had. Left them right there in the fire. And in just shoes that I slipped on, I ran through the six inches of snow. Now, between my house and the deacon's house, there was there was a little bitty decline. He was, uh, he, his house was a little lower than what our house was land-wise. And I didn't know it, but my wife and my daughter had slipped on that little decline and they had rolled in the snow. And I went running right by him. My little girl looked up at my wife and said, daddy didn't even stop for us. <laughs> Pounded on the door, woke up brother Schmidt. Told them the house is on fire. You got a hose, we can pour something on it. And uh, so he got the hose. Man, meanwhile, it's burning. It's burning. It's burning. Now, I don't know whether to tell you it burned up or burned down. The fire went up. The house came down. Uh, we lost just about everything in the house. About the only thing that we didn't lose, thank God, obviously, uh, none of us died, uh, but not only that, all the pictures that we had. Now, we, we had only been married at that time for 11 years. And, um, you know, just young guy, see, 79, that made me 30 years of age. And um, uh, we didn't lose the pictures because they were in the closet in my daughter's bedroom, which was the total opposite end of the house as to where the fire was. Now, the picture books... They were singed around the edges, but we never would have been able to find, you know, we didn't have cell phones back then. There was nothing on the internet. Those pictures hadn't been kept anywhere but in that book. So we were able to, to keep those. I, I, and we got down beside the bed over at the Schmidt's house and we prayed while we were waiting for the fire trucks to come. And we thanked the Lord, first of all, that since he didn't take, that he didn't take all of us, we thanked the Lord that he didn't take one of us. I mean, hey, if he'd taken all of us, we'd just been in heaven, you know, and rejoicing, and that'd have been okay. But it'd been real tough if he'd have taken one of us. So the fact that God let us all get out there alive, praise the Lord. And so we left Kathy at the Schmidt's house, and uh, I came up, the fire truck finally arrived, and they're working on putting the fire out. As a matter of fact, it kept coming back. I think they had to come back five different times because it would just start up again, you know. I don't know how all that works, but any of you firemen would understand that, I reckon. So we lost it all. By the way, another thing we asked the Lord is we asked the Lord, please, Lord, help us to always rejoice and not complain because I'd rather be in the center of your will with the fire burning up everything than be out of your will and have everything. Doing God's will was the most important thing for our life. 
By the way, we only had two times where we complained or began to complain. The first time, my wife and I, a couple days later, we were sitting at uh, a table, not obviously in our house, uh, trying to figure out all that we had lost so we could report it to the insurance. And you know, the more we wrote things down, the sa- I'm trying to think of the sorry our mood, our mood got. Man, we started getting down. Instead of counting our blessings, we were counting our losses. And buddy, that really infected us in a bad way. And so I said, "Hun, put it up. We're not going to do it. Now, the second time was when I found out we didn't have insurance anyway. So it was all gone. <laughs> so if I found that out first, I wouldn't have had to go through that first time, would I? Now, to get back to the story, though, to think, here I was sleeping a good sleep. I was enjoying being asleep. But if I would have stayed asleep, I'd have died. Sleep's a good thing. I read all kinds of articles about how we need to get, we need to get so much sleep. I've got a preacher friend who pastors over in Pensacola And bless his heart, he only sleeps about an hour a night. I think he's got restless leg syndrome or something like that. And he just, he can't sleep longer than an hour a night. Man, I'm glad it's not me. What a horrible thing. But the reality is sleep, basically a good thing. But it can be a deadly thing. I want to submit to you, as he writes to three different churches and he likens them to being asleep and he tells them to wake up. I submit to you that our biggest problem is not those who sleep on Sunday morning. It's not those who fall asleep while the preacher is preaching. It is those people though who although they may be faithful, they may be in the pew, they may be good givers, but they are sound asleep to spiritual truths that they need to motivate them to be all that they can be for Christ. He tells three churches to wake up. One of the things I've noticed over the years is that practically every church has at least one real strong point. Some have several strong points, and some have really some super outstanding ministries that they do that other people don't do. Every church is different. But then if you read Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3, all seven of those churches were different. They had different good points, different bad points, and God knows them all. Now, before I can get into waking up these churches, I need to first mention this. The lost don't need to wake up. The lost need to come forth. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, the scripture says, And you hath he quickened, that is, made alive. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. The trouble with the lost, they're not asleep, they're dead. They're lost. They're already separated from God, and they need to come forth. It's interesting, when Jesus stood at the graveside of Lazarus, he didn't say, Lazarus, wake up. He said, Lazarus, come forth. He needed to come forward. Jesus made him alive. It had been silly for him to stay down there in that grave. Lazarus, come forth. And by the way, the invitation is to come. John 6, 37, All the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. His invitation is to come. John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. You see, they need to come to Jesus Christ, and you do it by faith. Coming to Christ in him is life. John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them give you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And listen, in, in Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul on Mars Hills declares this, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. That's God's call to mankind. And if you die without having turned to Jesus Christ, 
you'll die lost and burn in hell for eternity. So the lost do not need to wake up. They need to come forth. But as I got to thinking about this thing, you know, there are some real parallels between people who are spiritually asleep and people who are physically asleep. For instance, a physical sleeper sees no needs at all. He's asleep. I mean, let's say, let's say he was out working in the backyard, got himself all dirty, came in, laid down, started sleeping. He doesn't see the need that he needs to get washed up, cleaned up. He's asleep. I tell you, I used to work out on my uncle's farm. And man, there were a lot of times I came in deadbeat, went to sleep. Hey, that was fine. When I was sleeping in the bed in our house on February the 10th, 1979, even though the fire was burning and my house was on fire, I saw absolutely no need. I was asleep. Now that's a spirit, that's a physical sleeper. But a spiritual sleeper, it's amazing. You're doing such a tremendous job with missions, but you realize that there are a lot of churches out there that see absolutely no need. Yeah, they know churches are supposed to support missions, but they really, most of them don't have a clue as to why. They don't see the urgency of it, that there are people all around this world that have never heard of Christ. Hey, I lived in Sturgis, Michigan, and then Kalamazoo, Michigan, and for the first 21 years of my life, I didn't even know who he was. I didn't live in the jungles of the Amazon. I didn't live in the Congo. I didn't live live in the Gobi Desert. I lived in the United States of America and had absolutely no clue who Jesus Christ was. But it's amazing. And in my town of Sturgis, Michigan, we had the Jehovah's Witnesses knock on our door. We had the Mormons knock on our door, but we did not have one Baptist church knock on our door or Bible church knock on our door. We didn't have one Christian come by to tell us how to be saved. Or to tell us that we even needed to be saved. Now there were churches in town, number of churches in town that believed the gospel of Christ. At that time, there were no churches in town that ran a bus that I know of. They didn't care. Had we died in a car wreck, no, none of the Christians would have been crying at, at our caskets. Why? They were sound asleep spiritually. Jesus had given the command, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But they didn't see it. They were excited about going out knocking on doors. You say, well, preacher, I, I, I just can't talk. That's why I don't go. You better not have a cell phone. Don't tell me you, can talk. you can't talk and you've got a cell phone. What are you doing with the phone if you can't talk? You're putting the camera on you and doing sign language? It's amazing the excuses that we give for not telling others. Now, I'm basically, I am basically a very shy person. And now, come on. He said, with with all that yelling and stuff you do, sure. I do that because that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm a preacher of the gospel. Cry aloud, spare not, what the scripture says. That's why I preach like I preach. And also, I'm just kind of loud. Got that from my sister. (laughs) After all, I wanted to be heard too. But you see, a spiritual sleeper sees no need. Not only that, they're blind to their own actions. There have been a couple times in the years that I've been married. And I've been married now for 54 years years to a wonderful woman. She has to be wonderful to put up with me for 54 years. But there's only been a couple of times when in my sleep, I've popped her one. (laughs) I've never struck her in anger. But I mean, you know, you just boom like that. At least that's my story and I'm sticking to it. My wife has told me that there are times, and I haven't heard this in a few years now, maybe because I'm really asleep when I'm asleep, but uh, there have been times when I have sat up in bed and start preaching. 
And she said, said to me the next morning, she says, she says, Mike, you sat up and you started preaching. And you, you carried on for a bit and you just laid back down. I said, what did I say? She said, I don't know. I never listened to you. <laughs> no, I told her, I said, listen, you write down what I say. That could be the best message I've ever brought. But she doesn't do it. But the truth is, when I've hit her like, I was just blind to my accent. I didn't know because that's what sleepers are. They don't know what they do. I had, I had one night I woke up on the floor. How did I get there? I don't know. Have you ever knocked things off the, the uh, table right beside your bed? You didn't know you did it. Because you see a physical sleeper is blind to their actions. And spiritual sleepers are the same way. I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but we had a good couple. I remember the day they got saved. They got saved about, I think, 1992. Uh, he was an Aflac salesman, did a, had a good business, did a great job. He's a wonderful guy, he and his wife, Kathy. And um, <laughs> one day, he, came into the, he and his wife came into the church and we had some visitors who had sat down right where Ken and Kathy always sit. And he went up to them and he said, It wasn't, welcome to church. It was, you're sitting in our pew. When I found out about it, I was absolutely horrified. People don't have pews at Madison Baptist Church. Visitors can sit anywhere they want. We want them to come in. As a matter of fact, the visitors question, oh, I didn't know people had their own pews here. We don't. I talked to Ken about it. He was mortified at himself. He couldn't believe he did it. I mean, he just came in. He wasn't thinking. I mean, have you ever allowed your mouth to move without your brain being in gear? That's what he did. It was terrible. What? He was spiritually asleep. That was the problem. People say things to visitors, to missionaries, and they don't even realize what they're saying. The troubles that they cause, that they just stop and think. Now, I know as a pastor, there are things that, you know, I've learned, unfortunately, in most cases, the hard way. Like, you know, you never go up to a lady and say, oh, are you expecting? That's a mistake. That's, that, that's not good. I remember one time in the pulpit, I was pastoring a chapel of Highland Park, Pinewood Baptist Church in North Chattanooga. And it was the Wednesday night after Christmas. And so I got up and, you know, you just try to make everything kind of light. And I said, how many of you got something for Christmas? And everybody raised their hand. I said, how many got some clothes for, for Christmas? And a few people raised their hand. I said, how many got something on you got for Christmas? And there was about five or six people raised their hand. And so I looked over at one side. I said, Hazel, what you got on you got for Christmas? She said, these gloves. I looked in the back and dear sweet old Mrs. Duggar sitting in the back of the auditorium. And I said to that sweet, precious Christian lady, I said, and what do you have on that you got for Christmas? And she didn't say nothing. I realized I made a mistake. That wasn't wise. And I'm, I'm sorry, I got tickled. And I got tickled. I knew I'd messed up. And I'm, I'm trying to find a way out of me being asleep when I did it. And so I look back here at the song leader because I was, get up here and lead a song. He was rolling on the floor. <laughs> and then she said, hose. Oh, why didn't she say that in the beginning? I think I would have caught it. <sighs> the truth is spiritual sleepers are blind to their actions. You realize when we come to church, one of the reasons we're to assemble together is to exhort one another daily while it is called today. We're here to be an encouragement to the one another. It's not a matter of coming sitting in the pew and just letting people go by or counting the number of folks that come by and shake our hands, but it's to go around and be a blessing to people, be an encouragement to people. Not only that, physical sleepers, their physical powers accomplish no good. 
They may be a great carpenter, but they don't build any houses. They don't build any cupboards when they're asleep. They're asleep. That's it. And there are a whole lot of people in our churches, they've got all kinds of talent that are never used because they're sound asleep spiritually. When I pastored uh, Temple Baptist Church in Manchester, Tennessee, our main piano player, bless her heart, Miss Edith, she's in glory today. Uh, she wore sunglasses, and it's because she had some eye trouble. She could see, all right. But she couldn't read music. And so she's played everything by ear. Now, I had a song leader, Brother Bailey. He's in glory today. And uh, bless his heart, he, he couldn't read music either. He led the singing. Now... The good thing was they both knew the same songs. They'd been doing it long enough together. Now, we did have a lady in church who had, well, she was really great as far as playing the piano. I mean, she could do it, but I couldn't count on her to be faithful. I'd rather have somebody with not much talent be faithful to the Lord using at least what talent they have for the glory of God than trying to p- plug somebody in who can't be faithful even though they've got all the talent in the world. What was the problem with that gal? She was spiritually asleep. And I'm just going to tell you, physical sleepers don't accomplish anything. Spiritual sleepers, I don't care how much talent they have, they don't accomplish anything either. Just like quite often. Now, I'll tell you, I like Christians to sing. I like it. And I fear sometimes we've gotten to the place where only those that can make it on America's Got Talent are allowed to sing from the platforms of our churches. They've got to have a trained voice. And uh, listen, I like to hear people sing because they love to sing. I, I, do, I do make it that, you know, they've got to at least know to go up when the song goes up and down when the song goes down. That helps a lot. But nevertheless, I allow those dear saints to sing, even though they may not hit the note always right. Their voice may be wearing out a little bit, but they love God, and you can count on them to do it when we schedule them to do it. But there's some people, they're scheduled, and they don't even tell anybody. As far as I'm concerned, they, they don't need to be singing until they wake up. Not only that, a sleeper does not appreciate the value of time. Time flies while you're sleeping. You ever get up late? And you, man, where'd the time go? And now that you're awake, you're very conscious of the time. But while you were asleep, my oldest daughter, Kathy, she was good at, she realized one day when she was just a little girl, that when we made those long driving trips someplace, that if she'd get in the back seat and go to sleep, we'd be there in no time. I remember one time we went up, we were making a 10-hour trip to uh, go off to, uh, see a, uh, to a Bible conference. It was a 10-hour trip. And uh, normally, we'd drive, you know, four, four and a half hours and then stop for gas. And that'd be the bathroom break and then go on. But there were some problems. We had to stop two or three extra times. So she had to get out of the car each time. And she was saying, boy, that's the longest trip we've ever taken. I said, how would you know you were asleep? But she had to wake up five times. That was it. I'm just simply saying that a physical sleeper doesn't appreciate the value of time, and neither does a spiritual sleeper. I don't know how close we are to Jesus coming. I know this about myself. I don't have near as long to preach as what I've already had. Remember when I was 35 laying in bed thinking, if God gives me my three score and ten, I've only got 35 years left to serve the Lord. But that was when I was 35. Now I'm 73. Man, I'm in overtime. And you know how overtime ends? Sudden death. (laughs) Never thought about that, did you? I'm in overtime. The thing is, overtime is always the most exciting time of the game. Man, everybody's paying attention in overtime. A sleeper lives in an extorted dream world. I mean, and by the way, sleeping Christians, they take offense at everything. They live in an extorted dream world. They think everybody's thinking about them. Well, I'm at it so-and-so because she gave me a hard look. How do you know she was even looking at you? Well, because that's just the way she is. 
and you're sound asleep. Wake up. Wake up. It's not all, people aren't always thinking about you. Boy, that'd destroy him right there. You're not thinking about me? No. There's stuff going on. Man, how can we reach more people with the gospel of Christ? There's lost people in really bad shape on their way to hell. Something else about a physical sleeper. I'm going to get to the message in a minute. This is all introduction. Are you ready? (laughs) Something else about a physical sleeper. Normal activity irritates the fire out of them. Now, I normally get up before my wife. I've, I've got a number of things that I need to do early in the morning. I've had some respiratory problems, and so I have to go through some breathing stuff and all of that. Uh, But when I get up, of course, uh, you know, you turn on a little light over here. Never turn on the big lights. Have to get in a dresser drawer, and I try to do it as quiet as I can. But, you know, there's sometimes, isn't it normal activity when you get up to change your clothes from your pajamas to other stuff, to put on your socks or whatever you're going to do? That's normal activity, but it irritates my wife. (laughs) And you know why it irritates her? Because she's asleep. Well, I got news for you. In church, normal activity irritates those who are spiritually asleep. You know, that's the Christian that gets really upset because the pastor, he's taken us into the fifth verse of this invitation. When is it going to end already? That's a sign of a spiritual sleeper. Or a spiritual sleeper that the service is over. And the pastor says, sing a song because we're going to have baptism. And he goes up to baptize. And there's some dear sister looking at her watch. And when am I going to get out? Man, we're going to be behind the Methodists at the, at the salad line. What's wrong with that? Man, beautiful thing to see new Christians get baptized to the glory of the Lord. They ought to be rejoicing in God. When we went to Highland Park Baptist Church, they had baptism every service. Every service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival time, Bible conference time, every service, they were baptizing people. And you can actually hear some people complain. I thought, man... New Testament church was doing that all the time in the book of Acts. Shame on us that we're not doing it all the time. But for somebody to complain about what the church is about, getting people saved, baptized, growing in the Lord, to complain about that demonstrates they are spiritual sleepers. Not only that, let me give you one other thing about a parallel between the natural sleeper And the spiritual sleeper. A sleeper is unconscious of the beauty around them. I don't care what's going on. You know, the paintings in the room don't don't stir up a a physical sleeper. Because they're asleep. They don't see it. That's why I always thought when we lived in a mobile mobile home. uh, You know, when I was asleep, it looked the same. When I was asleep. As if I was living in a mansion. Or as if I was, you know, you can go to Motel 6 and go to sleep pretending that you're in whatever else you, you know, Holiday Inn Express. Matter of fact, my idea of camping is Holiday Inn Express. I don't like to camp, but that's another matter. We made a trip out west, went through the Painted Desert, and then went on up to, uh, went on up to, what's that big hole in the ground up there? Grand Canyon. Man, that was exciting. But going through the painted desert, man, I thought that was beautiful. My daughter's in the back seat. She sound asleep. We're talking about it after she wakes up. and I didn't see any of it. Yeah, you were asleep. Man, things like this. Missions conference in a local church. But some people are so spiritually asleep, they don't even show up. Some of them never even decide that they're going to be part of Faith Promise. Why would anybody be like that in a Bible-preaching church? I'll tell you why. They're asleep. Spiritually, they are sound asleep. But there are times when God says to us to wake up. The three verses that we read, written to three different churches. And the subject matter of each of them is just a little bit different. Chapter 13 of the book of Romans and verse... 11, the scripture says, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. 
For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The point is this. We need to wake up because of the time. The time is short. Now, because we don't see the 8 billion people on planet Earth, we don't really have a good grasp on how quickly the population on this planet is exploding. And most of those people will live and die without ever hearing a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's amazing how many of those people on planet Earth don't even have a gospel preaching church in their city. I'm not just talking about Baptists now. I mean just a church that actually preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're all over. I know down in South America, there are literally hundreds of churches or cities, over 100,000 people with not one Bible preaching church in the entire city. Now, I've often thought about this. The truth is, I surrender to go to the mission field if God will have me for every missions conference we have. I say, Lord, if you'll call me to go someplace, I'll go. You want to put me in Alaska? I don't want to go there, but I'll go if you call me. Uh, Lord, South America, since I do speak Spanish, I'm not fluent, but I think I could pick up the rest of it pretty quick. And uh, I, can, I have preached in Spanish before. I started the Spanish ministry at our place. Uh, so, I, you know, I do believe I could do it. And I, I thought, I said, Lord, uh, you'll send me, I'll go. Listen, I know if I resign tomorrow that there would be over 100 resumes on their desk before the next month is out. All of them saying, we believe God's called us to Madison, Alabama. Well, these people who want to preach so bad, why don't they go? Well, they won't go. Church, we need to wake up. I mean, the need is absolutely great. God deals with your heart about going as a missionary. Guess what? Most of these guys that have gone, they didn't think they could do it. It's not about what we can do. It's about what God can do with nothing. God does take, as Brother Meyer said the other day, the foolish and the base. If you just let God use you. It'd be shocking what God would do with your life at reaching the lost. Here, there are a lot of people that don't go because they're afraid that they're not going to be able to make a good presentation. Hey, better to at least make a presentation that it may be kind of poor than them not hearing at all. The church needs to wake up and it's because of the time. We don't have much time. Now is the time for us to be busy. Knowing the time, less time than ever before to reach the lost, and fields are closing by leaps and bounds. The amazing, the number of countries now that missionaries can't even get into. They can't share the gospel. In order to do it, they have to do it clandestine. How would you say that? Uh, in a hidden way. <laughs> Let me give you a second reason. Go over to Ephesians chapter 5. This is a long introduction and a short message. Ephesians chapter 5, notice verse 12. Well, let me start in verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Why do we need to wake up? Why did they need to wake up? They need to wake up because of sin. He tells them to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness. He talks about the sin of their society. I'll guarantee you that Christians 50 years ago never would have ever guessed where we would be at in America today. Can you imagine that we actually have a Supreme Court justice right now who is female, who could not, under testimony, under oath, tell the Congress what a female is? She couldn't tell. They asked her. Silent. Didn't Listen, I go back to the Bible. In the beginning, God created and he made them male and 
females. What it says. I'll guarantee you, you can ask those little boys and girls in kindergarten. They know the difference between a male and a female. But here we've got somebody sitting on the, in the highest judgeship in the land on the Supreme Court of the United States. And she doesn't have a clue what a woman is. When you've got people ruling over you who play dumb to very fundamental truths, you think you're going to get justice out of that? It can't. They have no basis in truth. They have forsaken the truth, as the scripture says, that the foundations be destroyed. What can the righteous do? If there was ever a day when Christians and churches needed to stand firm on thus saith the Lord, condemning sin, reproving sin, it is today. By the way, the only way lost people are going to know they're lost is to be confronted with the light of the word of God. And they... Paul brought it up in chapter 7 of the book of Acts. He'd not known sin except the word of God had said. That's how he learned about sin. But we've got churches compromising on the word. Well, they're going to compromise on the word. They're not going to help anybody. May make people a little happier when they get to come and jump around in church for a little while and then leave hearing how good they've all been. But the problem is they're sound asleep. Because of sin, we need to wake up. God wants his people to stand for him. By the way, abortion is still murder. Drunkenness is still drunkenness. I've told folks often, do you know this Bible offers absolutely no help for an alcoholic? But I tell you, it has the cure for the drunkard. You see, the very term alcoholic, I don't mean to offend anybody today, but you need to understand this. According to our society, alcoholism is a disease. It's not your fault. In other words, there's some germ out there that if it enters into you, it immediately makes your hand reach out for a bottle of beer or whiskey or vodka or tequila and put it to your mouth. You can't help it. Well, that's not true. And anybody who understands anything knows that's not true. But you see, people would rather hear they're not responsible for their drunkenness. God says they are. They're drunkards. And my Bible says this, Know ye not the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says a wonderful thing. And such were, past tense, what such were some of you, but ye are washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I believe when a person, whether it be a drunkard or whether it be a fornicator or a thief or any of the other things mentioned in those verses, when they come to Christ, the Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And the church of Jesus Christ today needs to wake up to the truth that sin is still wicked in the eyes of God. We need to wake up because of the time. We need, to be, we need to wake up because of sin. I've been holding off on this one. This one really troubles me. You know, you just have some scripture, pastor, that just, it's like God's pointing his finger at you and say, buddy, you need to get this one. Ephesians chapter, or fifth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'd say this verse haunts me, but I'm afraid some people get the wrong idea. This verse continually troubles me, and if you'll explain it away for me, it'd make me feel better, but it wouldn't make me any less guilty. He says in verse 34 of 1 Corinthians 15, Awake, to righteousness and sin not. Why? For some, some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Now think about it for a moment. He's writing to the church of God at Corinth. That's what he says back at the beginning of the letter. 
Corinth at this time was a city of 800,000 people. 200,000 free, 600,000 slaves. And you understand in New Testament times, slavery had nothing to do with the color of your skin or your race. Slavery had to do with being a conquered people. The Roman government would conquer a people And then what they would do is they would make certain cities free cities. For instance, when the Apostle Paul is arrested in chapter 21 of the book of Acts, he says to the the Roman soldier that was in charge of him, he says, I was born free. Well, he was born in Tarsus. Tarsus was one of those cities that had been made a free city. That's why he wasn't a slave. But there were a number of cities that didn't have that kind of luxury. And they took these conquered people, they, those that they didn't kill, they'd ship across to different parts of the empire. Considering that Corinth was a seaport town, one of the top four seaport cities along the Mediterranean. So they had 600,000 slaves, 200,000 freemen. The church at Corinth is three years old. This is the church started by the Apostle Paul. There are no printing presses. And whereas there would be some who would have copies of Old Testament scripture, they don't have a New Testament yet. Good portions of the New Testament have not even been written. The book of Acts hasn't even been written yet. That's going to be penned by Luke. The book of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, the book of the Revelation... Not only that, the book of John itself is not going to be written probably for another 40 years. So they don't have a New Testament that they can go up and say, let me show you the Romans road, how you can get to heaven. They don't have cars. There's no printed Bibles. He's writing to this church that is only three years old in a city of 800,000 people. And he says, awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. Shame on you. Well, this church was caught up in a lot of things. You know, in the first four chapters, there was division. He has to deal with that. They had allowed immorality in the church. They were going to have to deal with that. Uh, They had a problem going to law one with another. They had to be straightened out on purity and marriage and divorce and remarriage. They were messed up. Man, they're badly messed up on eating meats offered in sacrifice to idols. Uh, They had to be straightened out. He takes three chapters to deal with that very subject. Chapters 8, 9, and 10. All of those go together. Same subject. Then chapter 11. They didn't understand that when men and women prayed, they were to look different from the neck up. When they pray, read it, 16 verses. He tells them why. Most preachers today make fun of anybody who preaches about the length of hair on men and women. And yet he spends 16 verses covering it. When you pray, you're to look different from the neck up. And then they were abusing the Lord's table at the end of chapter 11. Chapters 12 to 14, they were messed up on the gifts. They were using them as as being prideful. And God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. In chapter 16 and chapter 15, do you realize in chapter 15, in verse 12, it says, How say some of you, there is no resurrection. Can you believe that they had people in their church that didn't believe in a resurrection? These weren't people outside the church. These were people in the church. So he spends 58 verses dealing with that. And then he gets to chapter 16. He takes up an offering. That's the book of 1 Corinthians. So these people were all busied and bothered about all kinds of things. All kinds of different things. He says, hey, wake up. There's some of you. There's some that don't have the knowledge of God. Shame on you. Now, why does that bother me? It bothers me because Madison Baptist Church, the church that I pastor, has not been there three years. We've been there 40. 
There's not 800,000 people in Madison County. There's only a little over 400,000, half the size of Corinth. We have printed Bibles. We have printed tracts by the thousands, and we pass them out by the thousands. We spend a lot of money on tracts and Bibles every year to get them out. But I look at this verse, and he says, Some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. I have been the pastor at Madison Baptist Church for 30, 34 of its 40 years. What would he say to me? Would it be shame? Brother Allison's a great pastor. I don't think that's what 1 Corinthians 15, 34 says. I think it says to me, shame on me. I don't know the size of your city or the size of your area or your county or the surrounding counties or anything like that. Well, then what's my problem if that doesn't bother me? My problem would be I'd be asleep and need to wake up. You see, when we're talking about souls, that's the people Jesus Christ died for. I see, I know you're awake about missions. Praise the Lord for that. But sometimes I think because we're doing more than many people are, therefore we're doing good. But are we doing as good as he wants us to do? And for that, I have to say, guilty. Wake up, church. Would he be saying that to your own heart as an individual, as a Christian? Wake up, time's short. Wake up, understand the time. People are dying every day. Somebody that we could reach if we just knocked on their door. Wake up because of sin. And wake up because of souls. They're all about us. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I appreciate the patience of these dear people. Lord, I've not meant to abuse their time at all. But I wonder if there might be some individuals here tonight that you're telling to wake up about their personal responsibility in reaching others, of giving to missions. I shouldn't be concerned about what my brother gives I need to make sure I give what I'm supposed to give. Lord, and perhaps there's someone here, their problem is not that they're asleep. The problem is they're dead in trespasses and sins, and they need to come forth. I pray they would tonight. Do your work in our hearts tonight. I beg it in Jesus' sweet name. Amen.